Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> no if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 15. And uh, we are going to be continuing in our series uh, called Abide. And this is a series that we started uh, back at the beginning of summer. And specifically, it's a series that we wanted to focus on the kind of hourly, minute by minute, in a lot of ways, feels like just mundane relationship that we have with God. Because there's, there's so many times where we look for kind of the overwhelming moments. We look for the, the, the joyous moments. We look for the mountaintop experiences. We look for uh, those types of aspects in our relationship that we always point back to or look forward to that help kind of fuel our relationship as we move on. And the reality is, is that the majority of our life, our relationship with Christ is going to be ordinary moments of grace that he's extending to us on a daily, hourly, moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second basis in which we get to experience an abiding relationship with him. There are going to be mountaintop experiences. There are going to be peaks. There are going to be moments where we are just overwhelmed with his grace and his mercy and his love on our lives. Um, but for the most part, there, there are going to be moments where where we kind of feel like at times we're in this thing alone. We kind of feel like, God, are you near? Are you close? I don't feel you emotionally. I know you're there mentally based on the things I know in Scripture. Um, but a lot of times we, we don't see it in the monumental moments. Um, but what I wanted us to do in this series is have our faith strengthened and have the Spirit inside of us, the Holy Spirit in us, strengthened and, and moving within us to be able to see that despite what we think, whether it's mountaintop or valley, despite those moments, God is always working in us. He is always there in us. He is always speaking to us. He is always extending grace to us. He's always extending mercy to us. He's always loving us in a perfect and abiding way on his end. But at the same time, there are areas in our life that, that we, on our side of it, on the, our side of the abiding relationship, don't tap into what God is doing. We don't see him in the ordinary moments of grace that he's extending to us every single day that we need every single day. And so this is one of the main reasons why we were looking at this series, John chapter 15, where we were literally spending three months in just these 17 verses. And today is an interesting one for me, just because I felt like it hit me right at a, at a weird and awkward moment for, for us to be talking about joy. Uh, one, because we just got back from a camp um, this week and where I was the, the speaker for the week and had to preach some eight times throughout the week. And, and so I'm just kind of exhausted from the camp, um, exhausted both emotionally and mentally from the preaching side of it, but then also just exhausted physically from being a part of a camp where I have muscles in my body that are sore that I never realized were sore because of all the things that we did with the students. And so it was an incredible time, 
Um, but at the same time, coming back from that and getting back, I'm not as young as I once was. And so uh, over the last couple of days, I'm just feeling the weight of just being sore. Um, and then also, I think just the whole week of eating camp food, which, and this was also a camp in Kentucky, so it's southern camp food. And if you know what I mean by that, it's it's barbecue and sloppy joes and, and um uh, chili hot dogs and like that's kind of what we ate all week um, and so like now I'm kind of just feeling the back end of that of just waking up this morning and just feeling sluggish and just not feeling good um, and so then looking at this message and having to give a message of joy I'm like I'm going to give the most monotone unenthusiastic message on joy that you will probably ever hear someone give because in all honesty I'm just not feeling it this morning I'm just not I mean even just singing the songs over there like I I'm on this like emotional roller coaster of like as soon as and it's an oldie but a goodie where you at Julia but like the the more I seek you like I love that song it's like as soon as you started singing that it, it immediately took me back to the days where we used to sing that when I was a youth pastor and and I'm just over there weeping. And I'm like, why am I weeping? Like, I usually am not a crier during songs, but I'm like crying over there. And I'm like, I am just a mess this morning. And so uh, when it comes to this message, uh, that's all I can guarantee for you is that it's going to be a beautiful mess uh, because I still feel is that the Lord is with us, that he's abiding in us, and that he wants us to hear his message today and that the Holy Spirit, um, I'm going to give you a short and sweet message, but I want to be faithful to the Holy Spirit that he is going to give you the food you need to be able to live in the joy that he has for us through this abiding relationship that he's providing for us every single day. And so John chapter 15, you're probably already there. Um, let me get there. John chapter 15, and, and like we've been doing, uh, we are going to read this together. John 15, 1 through 17. And so I'll, um, I'll start off for us, and then uh, remember, be proud, be loud, read along with me. John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you so much for access to your word. We thank you so much for the reading of your word together as a body. We thank you that we are able to be in relationship with you through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. God, it is him that we want to honor and praise. It is him that we want to lift up in this place. And it is him that we want to be changed and transformed to look more like to think more like, to love more like, and to be able to serve others like he has served others and has also served us. God, in this time, I pray that your spirit would use me to be able to discuss and talk about the joy that you have for us. And it's, this isn't a joy that's, um, that we compare with happiness. This is a joy that regardless of circumstances, we have hope in you. We have hope knowing that you are working things out. We have hope knowing that you are there for us, that you are there with us, and that you are there carrying us through anything and everything that it is that we go through. God, through your Holy Spirit, allow us to be transformed through your word today. Allow us to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. Allow us to mature in your word today so that we can reap more of the benefits of what it means to be in an abiding relationship with your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have access to be able to read and study and preach and share your word with one another. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be looking at this verse 11 today. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Charles Spurgeon says, the Lord Jesus is a deep sea of joy. He says, my soul shall dive therein and shall be swallowed up in the delights of his society, the delights of all that he is in his identity. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians um, that the U.S. has ever seen, says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations that are here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, and children, or even the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. John Piper says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And so what we see when we're talking about joy is that it is completely and utterly tied to the person and identity of who God is. 
We cannot experience the fullness of joy that the Bible is offering and that the Bible is talking about apart from an abiding relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ and by the means of the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to experience it. Anything that we long for in life, anything that we strive for in life to provide for us, that satisfaction is always going to fall and it's always going to break under the weight of our design for satisfaction that only God can provide himself. And this is literally, this is what the entire world, this is what the entire Bible is constantly combating is we are longing for a satisfaction. We're created for it. And what we're doing is we're looking for it in creation rather than creator. This is the exchange of Romans chapter 1, that we worship creation over creator, and God gave us over to that. And so what we're seeing here is God reversing that and providing himself to us in order to give us the joy that we are so longing for. We, think, we, we tend to think of the pursuit of joy as, as a fundamental right of ours, even our own Declaration of Independence states that it's an inalienable right given to us by our Creator to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's fundamental to our nature. We're created to seek pleasure, and yet we find that we are chronic failures when it comes to finding the kind of joy that will last for more than a fleeting moment. I mean, that's really what we're combating, right? Is We're, we're combating constantly looking for things to provide us the pleasure that only God can provide, yet what we're looking for in those things are things that can only give us temporary pleasures. It can only give us temporary happiness. It can only give us temporary joy. And so my question is, what if the deepest joy that we seek really can't be found at all? What if the deepest joy that we seek, we can't find? What if the deepest and most durable joy we could ever possess is a kind of joy that breaks into our lives and overcomes all of our boredoms and ultimately finds us? The joy we're seeking after in life as human beings, born sinners, we will never be able to find that joy in our own strength. We will never be able to find that deep, durable happiness that we're so longing for. Because ultimately, it has to find us because it's ultimately Jesus himself finding us. I don't think there's anything more important for a human soul than being found by eternal joy. From all eternity, before all time, God was alive with volcanic joy. God's always existed in joyful relationships. Joy is essential to the very nature of God in the fellowship of the infinitely happy and holy Trinity. The Father loves the Son and finds Him supremely well-pleasing. The Son loves the Father and delights in all that the Father is. The Holy Spirit streams omnipotently with His joy between the Father and the Son. So the, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity exists in what we can see and perceive as pure joy because they are infinitely pleased in their relationship with one another. It's a mutual giving of joy to each other because of the pleasure that they experience through and in one another. And so when it comes to this idea of joy, when it comes to this idea of pleasure, God needs nothing. 
God needs nothing. He has no deficiencies. He's free from all evil, and he is full of all good. Like, God does not need our pleasure. God doesn't need us to please him because he's infinitely pleased in the existence of the Trinity itself. So what does God's eternal, unbounded, overflowing joy then mean for us and for you? It means I'm not a pawn on the chessboard of a needy God. It's not God just moving us around and planting us where we live in order for us to serve him, to give back to him, to provide something to him that he does not have. Like a lot of times people kind of misconstrue Christianity as though it's God creating a people in order to provide for him the praise and pleasure that he's missing out on. And that's just not true. C.S. Lewis used to say that he believed that God was like this old um, granny who just demanded praises, who demanded um, compliments. And that's just not the case. What God was ultimately after was not something that he needed, but something that we needed. God was after providing for us a relationship that would lead us into joy, getting to then experience all the joy that God already encompasses and has himself. He created me not because he needs me to make up for some deficit that he has, but because he delights for his creatures to share the joy that he has in himself. He wants us to experience him. That's it. That's why we were created, for us to experience himself. He created us for himself to give himself to us. That's it. And so when it comes to this abiding relationship, when it comes to, as we talked about last week, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, that sounds daunting. That sounds like if you do good, then I will do good for you. But the reality is, is what we've seen throughout this entire abiding relationship is that he says, for those whom love me, you will keep my commandments. And what he's saying there is those who have entered into relationship with me the reason why you will keep my commandments is because you're experiencing me. You're experiencing my delight. You're experiencing my joy. You're experiencing my happiness. You're experiencing all that I have within the Trinity. I am providing it to you. And because I'm providing that to you and the world has not offered you anything that is in comparison to that, because I am giving this to you, you then love me. And because you love me, you want more of me. And because you want more of me, the way that I lead you into experiencing more of me is by giving you commands. It's by giving you laws, by giving you right and wrong. It's by giving you morality. It's by giving you things that allow you to live this life, live this Christian life in such a way that you're now able to love others as Jesus has loved you. You're able to abide with others as Jesus has abided with you. You're able to serve others as Jesus has served you. And in that relationship, in that process, in that design, God receives glory and we receive the utmost joy that we are to have here in this earth. Nothing greater that we will experience other than living in that. 
We don't stumble onto this joy. This joy that God has is pursuing us. It finds us. It's the amazing outcome of God's astonishing plan to pull us into his own joy forever. This is not by accident. When we come to know the gracious nature of Christ and what he has saved us from, he becomes more than just the Savior. He becomes our Savior. He becomes more than just the way, the truth, and the life. He becomes our way, our truth, and our life. He becomes more than just the joy of the world. He becomes our joy in the midst of our world. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose heart and whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is that person. A person who is blessed is a person who's experiencing joy because they're experiencing all that God is providing for them. Joy comes from knowing we are in desperate need. We're in desperate need of something that we cannot provide ourselves and then we meet the one who then provides that need joy is the substance of our hope when we were sinners when we are sinners and when we see jesus we finally come to terms with the realization that there is nothing that we can do to fix our sin there's nothing that we can do to fix our brokenness there's nothing that we can do to fix our pain there's nothing that we can do and we see Jesus, and we see that Jesus is the only way. We see that Jesus is the only hope that we have to be able to come and rescue us from a situation that is leading us to destruction. And when Jesus does that for us, it leads us into a gladness of heart. It leads us into a joy regardless of any circumstances, regardless of mountaintop experiences or valley experiences, regardless of monumental moments in life that are celebratory or moments where you are mourning because of death or losing a job or whatever it is, fill in the blank. We see Jesus as our constant hope. We see Jesus as our constant joy because he only is the one who can provide for us what we cannot provide ourselves. How many of you have seen the movie Sully? The movie about the, the airplane um, that was flying out of, I think it was LaGuardia, but I could be wrong, out of New York. Um, and right as it took off, um, it hit some birds. Birds came into the, the engines, and then basically the, the plane, the Captain Sully, it's his nickname, uh, he had to do a maneuvering and basically land the plane on the Hudson River, um, an attempt that, that actually proved every time they did a simulation that it actually should have just killed everybody landing a plane in a river. Yet Sully was able to maneuver the plane and land it and save all 155 people who were on board. And this is not long ago. I mean, this, this just happened within the last decade. And, and when you think about it, like when, we, when I watched the movie, I remember even in myself just having like a gladness of joy, a gladness of heart that that happened, that those people were saved, um, that, that Sully was able to do this in order to provide for them sanctuary, essentially, in that plain, on that river. And, and even when, if you were remembering back when this was breaking news, 
and the world watching in was looking at this. They were all seeing this story as a very good story with a great outcome. And people were looking at it with a gladness of heart. But who do you think experienced the greatest gladness of heart when, when watching or learning of this story? The people in the plane or those outside the plane? The people in the plane were the ones who experienced the greatest joy in that circumstance because they themselves were the one who fully experienced what it meant to have their life kind of flash before their eyes and to have the option that they were actually leading to their death, leading to their destruction, and then salvation was provided because a guy was able to step in and help them where they were completely helpless. The joy that they have for Sully, because one of the cool things that you see at the end of the movie is that this group of people, they get together every single year, once a year. Every, all 155 passengers on that plane get together and have a party every year to celebrate the fact that they survived. There's a joy that they've experienced in that story that no one else experiences because they were the ones on the plane. The same thing is true for us as sinners is when we're leading our lives and as, uh, as us leading our lives, we're heading straight into destruction and death and we see Jesus step in and provide the hope that we need, provide the fix that we need, provide the cross that we should be on. Jesus comes in and substitutes himself and by him substituting ourselves for something that we could not do that experiences, that dwells within us a joy that this world will never be able to provide for us. Because we've seen that we were going to death and he brought us to life, that produces within us a joy that only God can produce in us. This is what happens when we personally experience Jesus as our Lord, Savior, and treasure. We know him because he saved us. When the plane was going down and we were headed for destruction, Christ stepped in, saved us, and landed us safely into eternal life through his gracious substitution. This news makes any and every Christian forever grateful and forever glad, regardless of any circumstance, because we know where we're going. We know where we're going. Paul says it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like Paul's one of the most annoying guys to try to torture and torment because what he basically constantly tells the guards is no matter what you do to me I'm going to turn it into God's glory I'm going to use it for the gospel put me in prison I'm going to win the guards for Christ you beat me I'm going to give him glory and praise in that I'm going to pray for you while you're beating me at the same time to live is Christ if you keep me alive, I'm going to just keep sharing the gospel. To die, you want to kill me? That's great too because to die for me is a gain. I get to go then be with Christ unhindered from any sin that this world has. I get to go be with him separated from world now and in fullness with him. Like you could not touch Paul's joy. And so what's the difference between joy and happiness? We can definitely touch our happiness, right? We can, de like, you might wake up in the morning and it just be one of those good mornings where you're just like, man, I'm just feeling good this morning. Opposite of my morning. I'm just feeling good this morning. I, like, things are going well. I've got, like, the hairs right. 
makeup's on point. Not that I wear makeup. You might wear makeup. But, like, it's just, like, clothes are – you don't even have to iron them. They're just already good to go. And you're walking outside, sunny day. You're like, man, I am happy. This is a good day. And as soon as you walk outside, either a bird drops something on you, you've got a tire flat. What happened to the happiness? Out the window, right? Now you might be frustrated. You might be upset. Your mood is starting to change. You get to work. You, you realize that so-and-so who was supposed to do their job didn't do their job. Now you got to do their job. Like when it comes to happiness, happiness is fleeting. Like if we base life on happiness, we're going to be on a roller coaster of emotions where we're constantly frustrated and let down and upset. And it's not saying that happiness is a bad thing. I'm just saying joy is a different thing. Joy is regardless of circumstance, when things are going well and going great, God, you're awesome. You are good. You're holy. You're pleasing. Thank you for this grace. Thank you for this pleasure that I'm getting to experience. God, you are awesome. And when things go south, you receive a phone call that you've lost a loved one. You receive an email that you're losing your job. You, whatever it is, you go and see the doctor and you're experiencing a miscarriage. Regardless of what circumstance you go through, even in those moments, you're able to say, God's good. God's holy. God is all pleasurable. It doesn't matter whether or not I'm experiencing a high or a low. I know I have hope because... God is my life. God is my refuge. God is my strength. He's the one that I place my strength in. I know that I am weak, but he is strong, and so he's the one that I'm here for. And it doesn't matter what circumstance I'm navigating through life. God is my joy because I see Jesus, and I'm abiding in a relationship with Jesus. I know that Jesus said, even though in the end that I'm going to go away from you, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. Jesus still finishes up with but I'm always with you. Even though I might be separated physically from you, I'm always with you to the end of the earth. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so we get to navigate through life knowing that Christ is there with us. And that produces a joy in us that the world cannot give us. What robs us of joy is when we don't trust that. What robs us of joy is when we don't follow and believe and trust in Jesus. As we talked about last week, we looked at the commandments. We looked at, if you, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. And a lot of times people want to run to first 10 commandments. They want to run to the 613 commandments in the old law. They want to run to the prophets and the judges. They want to run to the guys who tell us what to do and what not to do. They, they want to run to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he takes the Old Testament law and he kind of flips it on its head and he says, what was physical, I'm now going to make it internal. I'm now going to move it into your heart and your minds and, and to have you realize that basically you trying to do good yourself is not going to work out. And what we saw in those commandments was those things are always going to lead us to daunting tasks that if we try to accomplish them ourselves, it's not going to work out for us. But the commandments that we constantly see more throughout the scripture is Jesus simply inviting us to the source that helps us to live the Christian life. Multiple times throughout just the book of John, since he's the one that wrote this, you see him saying, believe me, as far as what Jesus is saying, believe me, trust me, follow me, receive me. 
abide in me. These aren't do's and don'ts. These are intellectual, spiritual, emotional, mental understandings that Jesus is providing something for us that we cannot provide for ourselves. And so, Jesus, you're doing this, so I trust you. I believe you. Let me receive you. Let me, let me hold you. Let me abide in you. Let me connect to you. Because it's only in that source, me being connected as a branch to the vine, that I will then be able to bear fruit both fruit of the Spirit as well as fruit of abiding by the commandments. Loving others, serving others, doing good, not doing wrong. It's only in that connection that we're able to be connected to the nutrients that are flowing, that flourish in our joy that we have in Him. Turn over to um, John 16. I just want to read this this last passage for you, John 16, verse 20 and through 24, that as this really kind of provides for us a theological background for this idea of joy. John 16, picking up in verse 20. And, and just keep this in mind that this is moments, moments away from, from Jesus going to be crucified entering into to that time, and he's still having these conversations with his disciples. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. The reason why they're going to weep and lament and be sorrowful is because he's about to die. He's telling them, you're going to weep, you're going to lament because I'm about to go and be with the Father. I'm not going to be here any longer. And he's saying that during that time, there is going to be a moment in which you are going to feel like you are completely without hope, completely helpless, and completely without joy because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to ultimately die. And the world is going to rejoice because the world is going to think that they triumphed over Jesus. Satan, sin, death, and evil are going to think that they won when Jesus dies on the cross. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into what? joy. Verse 21, he says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. For those who have had children, my wife and I know Alyssa back here in the back has had children as well as we've seen them march in. We just had a baby born a few weeks ago, one of our couples in our church. Ours is due in a few months. I've seen that process. I've seen Kelsey labor for 32 hours. That's insane. Like, it's insane. I mean, it is not a, baby, let me take this weight off of you. Like, it's a, I am just sorry that you're having to go through this. And I, I don't know what to, I hold your hand. Like, that's all I can do. And then, and then even like once we got beyond a point to where natural delivery was going to be an option, then having to go into the C-section mode. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm not kidding. Like, they put up a veil, but I've got Kelsey's head here. I'm talking to her through it. But then in this kind of view over here, I'm seeing everything that's going on with this C-section. And I was not wanting to see any of that. Um, it ended up being beautiful, but there's just things I didn't want to see. And, um, and it, was, it was just an insane experience for me. 
But throughout those two days of bringing Ezra into this world, there were a lot of pain and anguish and just stress and anxiety and frustration and and like just what in the world is this experience that we're going through right now? And Kelsey will probably look at me and be like, um, I experienced more of it than you did, and I get that. But it's still stressful situation. But then as soon as they pulled Ezra out and we saw him, like just that joy that immediately just flips a switch. And, and when they were able to bring Ezra over to Kelsey, and immediately, it's like it was all worth it. Like, it just absolutely, like, let's just do it again right now. Like, you, you have, I mean, she might not think that, but I'm on board. Like, let's just go for it. Like, it's, and we will in a few months. But, but the reality is, is even though you're going through extreme turmoil and pains, as Paul's talking about here, or as John's talking about here, you realize that there is an end to it. That even though when Jesus went to the cross and he was crucified and he died and they pulled him off the cross and they wrapped him up and they put him in a tomb and the disciples were experiencing a loss of a dear friend. They were experiencing a loss of, hey, you said you're our savior and now you're stuck in a tomb. We don't know what to do. We're going to scatter because we're afraid that they're going to do the same for us. They were experiencing complete and utter sorrow. But yet Jesus promised them, your sorrow will turn into joy. And the reason why it turned into joy is this. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. What Jesus is telling them is that there's going to come a time where you are going to rejoice because I'm, going, I'm coming back from the dead. I'm going to raise to life and I'm going to triumph over sin, death, and evil. It will not have hold on me. I will overcome it. I will conquer it. And because I'm overcoming it and conquering it, you're going to see that. And because you're going to see that, you're going to believe it. And not only are you going to believe it true in my life, as Jesus is saying, but you're, it's going to be true for your life. Because you're now going to be able to have the faith to say that he overcomes death, sin, and evil, and the grave. And because he can do that for himself, he can do that for me as well. That produces joy. That produces hope. That produces to live as Christ, to die as gain. Because even though I may die, he brings me back. I get to be with him for eternity. And it's not only eternity that he's talking about. He says, in the here and now, ask whatever you wish of the Father in my name, and it will be done for you, that your joy may be full. Like, God's, God's delight in us is that he blesses us with experiencing all of the blessings that are in him. Like, he wants to bless us. He wants to give to us. And I'm not just talking like health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not going that route. 
I'm just saying that he wants to provide for us more than we ask of him. And that's going to look like a lot of different ways. That might look like financial stability. That might look like a large family. That might look like a great neighborhood. That might look like a rough neighborhood that you get to be a light in to see it brought to revitalization. That might be a great job in which God just provides it for you. It might be a low-end job that God helps you work your way up through. Regardless of what the circumstance is, God wants to give himself to us so that we are delighting in him, experiencing him, and receiving fullness of joy in him and him alone. And the route that he does this is what we've been talking about in this entire series. As it started off in John 14, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our sully. Jesus is the one who provides for us the joy. Not only just a one-time deposit, hey, here, work on it, figure it out, enjoy it. No, it's a daily abiding relationship where Jesus is pursuing us and in response we get the glad desire to then pursue him back. Jesus is loving us and therefore we get to love him. Jesus is serving us and therefore we get to serve him. And we get to do all this and all of this produces a joy. May we be the people that echo the cries of Psalm 126, verse 3, that says, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you delight in us. And God, we know that the only reason why you delight in us is because you delight in your son, Jesus, who is also in us and abiding in us. And God, because he's abiding in us, we are then in relationship with you, abiding in you as well. And Father, we get to be children of yours who experience the fullness of who you are. Just like there are moments when my son Ezra is able to run to me because he knows that I'm a safe place. He knows that I want good for him. He runs to me. Father, would we run to you because we know you want good for us. We know that you're working all things out for us. God, we're not asking for every moment in life to be happy. But we're asking that in every moment of life we experience your joy, unwavering joy. And so we thank you for Jesus. It is him that we honor. It's him that we praise. It's him that we worship. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at